All right, good day, everyone, and welcome to New Map, the SLAS podcast where we interview life science luminaries. I am your host, SLAS Scientific Director Marshall Brennan, and today we're chatting with Dash Trivasa of Radix Labs. Welcome, Dash. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Well, to start us off, uh, let's start off with the SLAS challenge of describing your day-to-day work or company, whatever you're more comfortable with, in 10 words or fewer. Operating systems for biology labs. We cook software drugs. All right. That was, that was indeed 10 words, and they were remarkably coherent. Um, I know it's not easy to drill down one's work life that way, so it's uh, always a fun one. So, Radix, could you tell me a little bit more about how you uh, started the company, how you got to where you are? There's a lot of progress yeah. for the company in a short period of time, so I'm just curious about the, the history. So as with most good ideas, this started off with a joke that went a little too far. This is the culmination of a couple years of some of the smartest people in the world I know uh, putting their heads together and trying to figure out how to make a computer. This is a computer that can compute chemistry. And I thought this was a really cool idea, and I wanted to work on it. So I dropped out of college and went to the media lab because they had computers, or at least they had field programmable valve arrays, which are basically the same thing with by a different acronym. But when I started looking at the field like more seriously, I couldn't take it seriously. The kind of software support that biologists have in the lab is truly abhorrent for the kinds of jobs that they're trying to do. That's the problem that we're trying to fix. That's awesome. Now, I, I see you guys uh, got into Y Combinator. And... Uh... It is it famously uh, requires two or more co-founders. Can you tell me a little bit more about uh, the team that you guys started with? Yeah. Um, so I convinced my college friend to join me. And he thought it was too much work and wanted a 40-hour like a work week job. He was also in school at the time because I had dropped out. And he's been working a 40-hour work week since then and is living a good life. It was a great idea because he is my diligence hack. He's like a very diligent guy, can do the can do the paperwork. And I can actually like build technology and try and do the thing, which is really, really helpful. So Ian was with us kind of through YC until the end of the year. But I raised seed funding and I've been doing it kind of after that by myself. So did either of you actually have experience in a biology lab at this point? Or uh, were you strictly... Yes. So I had a variety of experiences with the biology lab, one of them being my freshman intro bio course, because I tried to complete all my requirements before I dropped out. So that was kind of awesome. And then I went to MIT to go work explicitly on not software. There's a lot of people writing software for other software people, and I wanted to go make software for not software people, but bring the same values that software people embody uh, to different fields. So I settled on biology because I know how to do neural networks. And a professor wanted me to go do quantum approximation of molecular dynamics uh, with neural networks. And if you've paid attention to the news today, today was the day that AlphaFold 2 was released. I completed in the previous CASP against AlphaFold. So I kind of got into biology that way as well, both from the computational side, as well as from the lab side of needing X-ray crystallography data to go do my damn work. That's really great. All right, so we talked a little bit about how you got to where you were. And so you, you've summarized what, what you've been doing as you're making a op- operating system for the lab, right? Uh, and that's really mm-hmm. exciting because um, there's a lot of work uh, that's being done in 
terms of uh, reproducibility and whatnot that I think uh, I'd like to get into if we have a chance. But could you tell me a little bit more about what your company does differently? Like, what is the key philosophical difference that you know enabled what your guys are doing? There are a couple major factors. One, something that enabled us was this problem has been unsolved in biology for like way too long. This specific one, I liken it to exactly the feeling of mechanical engineers before SolidWorks, and like mechanical engineering looks very different after SolidWorks. Uh, as before SolidWorks, and that's because you found the right abstractions. So that's our secret sauce. We just like did our diligence, like found the right abstractions, and nobody else's. And I was very confused as to why nobody else was for several years. And then I was like, well, if nobody else is going to do it, so yeah, that's how I kind of got here. That's awesome. I, I think that's a common thing that you know people both in you know engineering and sciences encounter, where you know the question is, you know, this is so obvious. Why hasn't anyone done it? And there are some people will that, that stop them and be like, well, clearly there's a reason because somebody must have. But sometimes it's just that nobody's done it, right? And so it just yep. takes the, the right person to be uh, be one to do that experiment. So the technology to do this has existed since Java and has like existed well since Java. And however, the like the second kind of driving factor is a lot of these businesses are undergoing a digital transformation. Which means they're actually starting to take software seriously as opposed to not. Especially in the life sciences, there are a lot of people that just don't take software development like seriously as a discipline within their companies. So when I looked at the problem, I was like, well, these aren't computer scientists. Like, why should we expect them to do this? Yeah. And I can tell that there's a, a very computer science approach to the, the way that you go about describing your problem, too. One thing that I've seen you talk about in public is a data silo. Could you talk about what that problem is for our audience and like describe how, how you think uh, it's best solved? Yeah. So there exist things in the world that produce data. There exists your desire to like have produced that data because you're running an experiment or something. And you need to attribute that data back to the experiment. Right? Like this is a common problem that we have. We need to like Oh yeah, with like this sample, yeah, can, like combines with this chart over here. And the trick is with data integration that humans need not apply, right? Like you can't do any part of that with a human entirely beyond like Q and A, like a type form kind of thing. Like hey, we send you like a little quiz or there is a Slack bot, but it has to be a structured interaction in order for it to scale. And actually, like work and provide these invariants. So that's like the problem of siloing, right? Is why can you not do this thing automatically correctly? So a non-trivial part of that then too is getting all the myriad uh, instruments and machines and computers in a biology lab actually talking to to each other. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you approach that problem? Um, you know. What was the challenge in actually getting all of those machines out of their boxes and then talking to each other on a network? So it's not hard, but these guys can build these beautiful particle accelerators, man. They can build these incredible marvels of genomic sequencing. They can build beautiful pipetting robots. But their software is so bad that like there are we a large extent of our customer base is just like please, we just don't want to deal with this software, right? Like we need something that we can actually like, instruct globally as a lab and then like not deal with this kind of thing. Because 
when you end up writing for machine-specific targets, uh, that's the like computer scientist in me coming up. But that means that like you work on a branded machine, right? Like an Intel x86, kind of the same thing as a Hamilton Titanic robot. Those are branded machines. And when you start doing that, like you fall down a very bad rabbit hole to fall down. So this kind of gets us back to the reproducibility point that I was talking about earlier. And so when we start thinking about now the, the different data is being moved across, um, you know, not just people, but the instruments that they're on and that you've dealt with this machine isolation problem. What, what do you have to say about reproducibility? Do you feel that way? And, you know, how do you think we should be going about solving these problems? Uh, just in a general sense. I feel like there is a reproducibility crisis because the mere discussion of one means that there is, right? Like, we don't know our unknown unknowns here. And we don't know how much of legitimate research is marked as illegitimate or how much like legitimate research is actually illegitimate, which is like not a good combination. So I think it's a problem. And I think nobody like has a good solution. I think where you start in doing data unification, right? Like you need to start from a database theorist perspective of like, how do I make a sequence of actions that leaves nothing to interpretability, right? Like, that's what we're looking for. We want audit logs, and we just want nice ways of crunching them. As a result, there's actually a very popular thing that uses this question back at you. Do you know what the NASDAQ is? I thought I do, but I don't know if I'm uh, thinking about it from the perspective. I know. You, you, I know you think you do, but like, what do you think it is physically? Like, how does it run? My assumption is that it's a, a network of computers attached to a database that are constantly updating the transactions that lead to the value of various stocks. But uh, maybe Yes, yeah, that would be your imagination. And that's where a lot of people went in the early 2000s. However, we've learned from that. The NASDAQ is a single computer with 28 cores, with 27 of them turned off so that you can use that one core fast. It goes, the entire NASDAQ goes through a single Java thread. Um, which is kind of wild when you think about it. But that's really what you can do when you start to understand your machine and build to it, which is our goal. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. So we've talked about, you know, all right, so you've created this operating system for lab. You made this beautiful GUI. It's real a graphical user interface for uh, the readers who uh, didn't understand that acronym. And you've, you've made this all very usable. And, uh, you know, I think if people go to your, uh, your company's website, they'll see these really great depictions of how these tasks can be automated. So I would like to hear your take on how we balance automating and unifying techniques for things with creativity and that sort of serendipity of things going wrong. What, what are your thoughts on that? Automation does not mean that you need to have a phase change, right? Like automation is a thing that happens separate of robots, right? Like there, there's nothing to do with robots in what the word automation is. And if you think philosophically there for a second, like we're never going to get rid of humans or unique insight in the lab. It's the place for unique insight for crying out loud. So what you have to do is make it easier for people to have unique insights. And for that, you need to develop a loop, right? Like you actually start thinking about these things as dev tools and tools for thought rather than as like pieces of software. 
that are kind of doing things. But our, our whole mission is just to shorten that loop and make it tighter and tighter and tighter. It is kind of a non-answer, but like... So if, I, if I'm interpreting your response, and do correct me if I'm wrong, the idea is to less think of this as giving power over to machines and more of this being adopting a, a thought process around a new set of tools or a new approach to the tools you already have. Is that accurate enough? It is a new approach to the tools you already have because all biologists have biology labs because otherwise they're not biologists, right? Like that's the stereotype. And it's true for a reason. Like, dear Lord, every biologist we know like has a lab, even in their garage. So you need to be able to do scale up and scale down. That was kind of my thing. Like you need to be able to go seamlessly, like legitimately seamlessly from all the way human to all the way robot. And that's what automation is not robots doing boop, boop, boop. Well, that's fair. Fair enough. All right. Uh, we are getting close to the end here. And man, there are so many things that I, I would love to uh, dig into with you if we had the time. When it comes to uh, your position on programming language and the sciences and whatnot, I think that we could go on for hours. But in the interest of time and the, uh, the podcast itself, I would love for your perspective on what should the younger generations of scientists who are just coming up in the lab and being exposed to automation, what should they be doing now to best prepare themselves for a career where they may have these sorts of scale and, uh, and autonomy tools available to them? I would say one of the most valuable skills in life is that of being able to think like a computer. Like computational thinking is extremely important. And I think that more uh, young scientists would really benefit from trying to understand the philosophy of software and why that's important for the sciences. A lot of people don't give software the philosophy of it that much credit in the sciences. We just take advantage of the, the tools that are available. But I know I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today without NumPy. And you should be very thankful for that. And if you can, help them because it's open source. All right. Any parting thoughts before we close things out? I really enjoy being on podcasts. Uh, this has been a wonderful time. Uh, I wish we could have spent longer together. But also, I'm really interested to meet all of the SLIS people that like are frustrated with their software for this reason. Right? Like That's what we're here to do. We're not really going away. We like have a good business. So we just want to make your lab experience better, you the people. Uh, so like, please do give us a call. It'll be fun. Thank you so much for your time today, Dosh. If any listener would like to learn more about uh, Dosh or his company, uh, Radix Labs, the URL to go to is radix.bio. That's R-A-D-I-X dot B-I-O. And like I said, there are some really great diagrams there that'll tell you a lot more about what their concept is and how they're working. Um, on behalf of everyone at SLAS, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I hope we see you at the digital SLAS 2021 uh, in January. I'll be there.